0: There was a time, Jeff, when you were maybe a little more easily understood.
1: Well, certainly easily amused because (laughs) I liked friends. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenicast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me is my co-host, Alan. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives on theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. This week, we are going to talk about the past, specifically, how do we reconcile our past context with our current context, which I think is probably a... Good question, or at least something that all of us struggle with to a certain extent when we've gone from a major theological and cultural shift in our our thinking, which is, you know, obviously the catalyst for this particular podcast. And to close out the show, we are going to be sharing our top three things that have not aged well since our childhood. Um, <laughs> so this is a topic that is. Really important, and I'm surprised that we really haven't given it the weight and the attention that it deserves on the show thus far. But I'm sure many of us who have converted <laughs> or moved from evangelicalism in some way, shape, or form, or even just a conservative context, who are now—although I don't want to make the assumption that all of our listeners are not conservative, because we welcome all people listening to our show—but um, right. at least for us as the hosts, a catalyst has been: how do we then interact? With people from our past churches, especially for for Alan and I, we've both worked in churches as pastors, as evangelical pastors. And how do we maneuver that? And this is especially relevant to us right now because Alan, we should be congratulating him, is now an official ordained reverend in the UCC. So, Alan, congratulations. All this shucks. whole topic this <laughs> this whole topic of being like in one context and and out of another is probably uh very fresh for you. I'm sure yeah. your your introduction into the the u c your official introduction into the u c c has been um quite the contrast to your your past ministry experience. It's a strange feeling
0: f- filling out uh invitations to different people from the past. I mean I sent invitations to all of my previous churches to come to my ordination, the ministers that I've been involved with, my home church. And uh just thinking through like what is my relationship to all of them? Like are they are they going to accept the invitation? Would they come? Um I mean I had at my ordination I had uh a minister who was gay preached, a woman preached and these are things that we were told were you know like unforgivable sins in ministry, which is just crazy to me now but it was very real to me back then. And so at my ordination, not not everybody showed up. I had kind of one student that represented all of my youth ministry. I had some friends from high school that represented all of my past that I came from. But besides that, it was my family and my new context, my new religious family. And uh, strange would be the first place I would start. It's just a weird place to be. I think anybody who is in a new religious context looks backwards and is like, it's a different life or it's just you feel odd. You feel a sense of like disembodiment or something. On this podcast, we've walked through the evangelical wilderness, so to speak, and maybe I found one little outcropping that I've discovered and joined in the UCC. It is is huge for me, and I love it. Uh, but I look backward across what I've been through, back to where I've been before, and I have lots of weird feelings about it. You know, and and part of my question for this episode is like, how do you navigate those feelings? Do you have any use for them again? I mean, there are people listening to this that will have no use for their previous context. Maybe they're angry or hurt or they're still going through a grieving process for being rejected or something um, or just rejecting what they're a part of. And so everyone's at different places. But for me, Jeff, I don't know about for you, but for me, I felt like I've kind of gone through a grief process, like reintegration, thinking about different things. And like now I find myself, how do I relate to my previous context? And I'm doing it. Um, so I think this episode The reason it's so late in coming is like I've had a lot of processing to do to get to this place to be able to start thinking about how do I relate? Because at first it was like, well, there's no option to relate. I don't belong. Like maybe I'm not welcome or maybe I don't want them and it's not needed in my life right now. But that's where I'm at now. An ordination was super fun. I recommend it (laughs) for anyone that wants to do ministry. It's a long process, but geez, it
1: it was really cool. And I wore a robe like I said I would. The robe. The Donned white robe. The robe. Every yeah. time I think of the robe, I think of uh, that movie Hot Fuzz, The Greater mm. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I do not have
0: a hood, but I do know there are some people who do have hoods on their robes. And I think of that too. <laughs> I feel like
1: if I went with the robe, I would definitely do the hood. Yeah. There's something common cool. about it.
0: There is. You know, you feel that's pretty significant, very monkish. Um, I know what I'm going to say as to like how I relate or what has helped me in relating to my previous context, but I kind of want to let you maybe speak just a bit. I'm curious, Jeff. Um, I'm a youth pastor who's been a part of a lot of different churches and I know what it's like to be a former leader that maybe doesn't occupy the same space I once did for people. I mean, I've had students message me and be like, I once respected you. Not so much anymore <laughs> because of where you're at. You know, I like I followed you. I looked up to you maybe, but, um, you know, not, not so much anymore. And so I have weird feelings and relationships with all of that. And I'm wondering about you. Are you still in touch with like your former churches or the pastors that you worked with or under or a part of and
1: or students? And, and what is that like for you? Well, I think I think before. answer that i think we should preface for those of you listening that we're talking in the context of yes connecting with people who we had good relationships with who are friends and we know that a lot of people the catalyst for them shifting over to a new thought is through sometimes means of abuse or things that have happened which requires distance and never requires a reconnection so right i feel like we just need to put that out there in the beginning um, That's a
0: great caveat. We're not we're not recommending anyone uh, re-enter into abusive relationships, whether it's spiritual abuse or emotional or physical. Right? Like, there's space for forgiveness, but you don't have to be with someone or in the same room as someone or friends on Facebook or something. That's really
1: well said. Absolutely. Um, so, I think I think for me, I think probably for both of us, it's a little. It feels a little bit more extreme because I've always said that as. A pastor of a church, and I found this to be true so far in mainline denominations, and then uh, our former context is evangelicals. Uh, you're never really a part of the community. You're you're hired. There's always a sense of they'll be around, but then we'll have someone else come to fill that position. And there's just this ebb and flow on how that goes. So I think there was always there was always an isolation. Um, to a certain extent. But then once I was out of it and how I reconnected, um, part of the difficulty also was the kind of the unsaid ethic amongst pastors is that once you leave, you're not allowed to right. really go out of your way and stay in contact with people. You have to rely on people to contact you. Um, some churches, I think makes it it's eat. not even unsaid. I mean, in the UCC, you're yeah. not allowed for a year to like be in the church that you served. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that's right. the same for the, right. the denomination I'm with right now. So I had a difficult time at first. Um I don't have any I don't have any lasting connections with any of the senior pastors I worked with. Mm. Um part of the reason was that I've I've been pretty vocal. <laughs> and uh those relationships you? uh no. were had a tendency to be rocky, uh especially mm. after a while. And um but I actually do have I maintain a uh, close friendship with people that i worked with that were that were with me so at at my first church i had probably the biggest staff because i just got thrown into this machine of a borderline i wouldn't say mega church but certainly Mm -hmm. a large church and uh I, i just recently had a reunion with all of the people that i worked with this last summer and it was wonderful to reconnect and find that we're all kind of sort of in the same place which was nice and um And then at my last church, the last church I was at as an evangelical minister, I'm still uh, really close and get together regularly with the uh, pastor, the associate pastor that I worked with at that church. And that's probably one of the few relationships I have from that last context where we can sit down and talk regularly, disagree, throw our stuff out there and still have a lot in common and connect. And I think that's probably been the biggest anchor for me. From just yeah. like jumping ship and completely disconnecting because uh it's always been good conversations because there's times that I want I want to or I've wanted to disconnect. And I've never had anyone email me directly or contact me right. directly and say, This is how I used to think. I've just heard whispers and rumors and that no one tends ever seems to be how it is. Yeah. Right. And also that relationship you have with that associate minister
0: sounds pretty special. I mean, that's few and far between that there's someone willing to still have a relationship with you even after you've like left that context or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And actually I still worked with him after, even though I was, I had moved away from that and he was a senior pastor. There was a a nonprofit wing from that church for a little time that I helped um, manage a a secondhand store and uh, we still worked with him. I still was helping him out with his, Office administration, and if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have had a job after I quit the church because I couldn't I couldn't find anything else because it was hard to convince an employer that a, that an ex youth pastor had any uh, <laughs> an value to pastor. their company. Yeah, <laughs> take your guitar playing skills and your goatee
0: somewhere else. That's right. <laughs> now that my goatee's gray, I think maybe
1: <laughs> it would help out a little bit.
0: I think I have like a weirder. I think my my story maybe even be a little weirder than that because I'm. Yeah. I grew up in a church for 12 or 13 years in the same spot. And then I went to college with a lot of the people that were connected to that church because it's a very small community. You know, our theology was very small and specific and not really welcoming of anyone on the outside. So we took all of our leaders from one college and they came and served as interns at our church. And so when I think about my previous context, I think of my home church growing up, you know, I hear you about being set apart, like leadership, in the different churches I serve between now and then I I feel that too. But when I think about my home church that I grew up in, that's what I think about when I think about my previous context, not just where I worked, but that specifically. And then also the school I went to, because a lot of those people were, you know, the heads of the school when I went there were, when I was in junior high, they were in college and they were interns that were in charge of like, you know, youth group and stuff. So just a pretty small community. And, uh, providentially, Facebook was invented and came out when I was a freshman in college and you had to be in college to get on Facebook. So I had everyone back then just added each other. Same school, you just add each other. That's how it went. We thought that this was going to be like a school thing, not a family thing necessarily, but like here's our whole school is connected by Facebook. So it's been 10 years of. Kind of slowly losing relationships on Facebook, which is mostly normal because I don't know them anymore. And so that just kind of goes by the wayside. But there's also conversations with people from the past. You know, I'm in touch weekly with people. I don't know if you have this, but I like weekly have conversations with people from my past, like from a church growing up I had or from my first youth ministry when I was in college and people feel like comfortable enough to, to interact with me. And I find myself like kind of reconnecting with all of that on a regular basis. And, um, speaking of my home church, I, tell me if you felt this way about yours. Have you gone back to your home church in like the last 10 years or so?
1: No. Well, uh, <laughs> you grew up in, I think the last time I went was, yeah, it's probably been about 10 years, maybe nine or 10 years. One of the students that I trained as a oh, youth yeah, pastor right. who was, mm-hmm. who was, a uh, my junior high director for a while, uh, became the youth pastor of the church that I grew up in. So I went yeah. to his first Sunday. And I think that was like, man, that was almost 10 years ago, maybe. Can't be. I feel old. Let's <laughs> stop talking about that. <laughs> I, know, right?
0: I went with some of my friends through Oregon recently back in, I think, oh man, it must be uh June or July. And we went through Oregon, stopped in O'Brien, Oregon, which was like, I guess my hometown, a lot of like, white trash like me everywhere. It was awesome. I felt very, <laughs> I don't mean to be judgmental of anyone who identifies that way. You're my people. Um, no, seriously, there was like teepees on the side of the road you could rent to like sleep in. That's kind of what O'Brien, Oregon really? is. And there's like, there's like, you know, 30 people there and one bar and like no grocery store is pretty amazing. And we decided after going through Oregon crater lake and stuff, all that stuff, we decided to go back home to go to our hometown and so we picked up a high school friend on the way um, in Bakersfield, and I grew up in Tehachapi, which is this tiny little mountain town. And um, went back home to the the church I grew up in. This is like the second time I returned. I returned two years ago, two and a half years ago, um, after my ten year reunion in high school. But we went back there recently, and every time I go back, it gets even smaller. Like <laughs> the building is so small. Like I walk in, I'm. Oh, my gosh. I know everybody feels this way about certain things, like maybe the house they grew up in. But like small in space and like theological breadth, you know, like a lot of different things. It's just it feels it was really big to me back then. Certain things were really big to me. And now they're smaller.
1: And I used to think that that was a kid thing. But yeah, two years ago, maybe yeah, two years ago, I went back to the church that I was at. Before my last church as an evangelical mm. youth pastor and I went back there for um, for memorial service and it was small and I yeah. you know I'm, I'm about the same size I always used to think it was like a kid thing like you're this big <laughs> like and then you grow kid. up and you're older and everything's smaller but I, it, it, I wonder if it's just time or distance or what yeah. what makes it seem so much bigger even as an adult. That's strange that you mentioned that. Sorry. Go ahead. It's the same thing <laughs> with video games. I look back at like, you know, GoldenEye on
0: Nintendo 64. I go back and play it and it's just like garbage. I can't even see what's going on on the TV. But back then <laughs> it was just so amazing. So I go back there and I'll just be blunt. Like there were elements of my growing up of evangelicalism that were maybe spiritually abusive, some ideas that were really hard um on my psyche as a teenager and on people I knew that I think are are wrong and they're hurtful. But my experience at church at large was like, that was my heart, man. Like that was everything for me. I loved it. I mean, I loved everything about my church and I gave myself fully to it when I was a kid. Um, so going back there, there's this nostalgia. I long for the day when reading the Bible was simple. You mm-hmm. know, it, there was, you just read it and you, and you apply it. There's no interpretation. There's no layers of meaning. There's no like, oh, is this text weaponized in some ways? Is it misunderstood? Like, let's actually wrestle with the text. None of that. You just read it basically and it ministers straight to your heart. And you look out your window at the mountains and stuff growing up in that area. And everything was simple. I mean, it was also the town too. In that town, everything was simple. You know, there's not a whole lot of diversity and everybody looks and thinks pretty much the same. And, uh, I longed for those days, like, you know, everything's all traditional, every relationship, every family, there's one way to do kind of everything. And, uh, in that there was a comfort. And sometimes, um, in my life, I guess maybe when it's chaotic, I'm like, I kind of miss that. And so I go back to my church and I like put myself in a mental state. I'm just going to re-enter this and I'm just going to see what it's like. And the one truth I've come away with is you can never go home. Mm -hmm. You never can. You 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 can't, even if you want it when you've left evangelicalism and you've, you've gone kind of the paths that we're walking or similar ones, you have to actually let go of some things for real. Like you can't ever return to that pre-critical nostalgia. Um, there are things you can now do with it that I think are helpful. But my first, I guess, tip or something for anyone else was, is that there's a real grief process of losing that. You have to like, actually lose it, you know, (laughs) and not keep it in your mind is something that you can just return to. And so that's what it was like for me. On the other side of that, like relating to it in an honest way, I relate to evangelicalism as if it was a different religion. I think that is the one thing that has actually helped me in my process. This is where I'm at right now. It totally may change. Um, Maybe it'll be helpful for someone listening. Maybe not. But when I look at other religions, I allow them to believe what they believe. I don't try to explain their beliefs. I don't try to like pick them apart or own them for myself. Uh, I respect their ability to create meaning and, um, and express the, what they believe. And I do it respectfully. Right. And when I look at evangelicalism, not so much so because it's my context. I'm like, I'm not going to respect this. I'm going to pick it apart and destroy it because this is what I've been given and I'm going to wrestle with it critically. Right. Now more lately, I've been like, well, when I was evangelical, I honestly believed this stuff and it ministered to my spirit and it was, it was real for me and it was, um, it was edifying and it was something that was just a part of my spirituality. And so I'm respecting my former self when I look back and I'm like, yeah, that, that is one way to go. That is one way to treat the Bible. That is one way to do church. That is one way to do family. Um, I totally disagree with some things and I, I would never say I agree. I would never propagate some of those, um, those teachings or something, but at least I recognize it as one way to go and that there are people who are earnest in what they do. And so I think I've now had enough distance for some people. They may never get here because they've been through too much pain, but I have enough distance to be able to look at those communities and be like, I don't have to judge when I go there. When I go home, I don't have to like pick it all apart. Hmm. I can interact it as something that is different than me. Um, That kind of pulls a little bit, Jeff, that pulls a little bit about at Like, what is Christianity? What is the church? Are we connected? Are we one thing? Yeah. Like I haven't resolved that in my mind, but I've at least like kind of let go, trying to make sense of
1: the differences. See, where you're at right now is where I was a year and a half ago, and <laughs> By the I way, have everything I've ever done <laughs> has been following in your
0: footsteps, <laughs> like
1: but since I was. A I kid. have oh. reverted back. the The rise of Trump was oh. a real difficult mm-hmm. thing for me and it really it really undid some of the piece that i had made at that place of you know live and let live kind of thing because i was watching like i i saw this arc of people interesting. that interesting like you said that i that i respected still that still had this um you know sense of integrity about them that yeah. that was like okay i believe this and and even though i would never um I'm never going to act as though it's live and let live when it comes to certain issues like yes the inclusion of LGBTQ community racism Absolutely. the mm-hmm. environment stuff like that that I think are moral imperatives. But um, when it comes to doctrine or how you read the Bible, again, I was where you're at, and uh, you know, I would still say if someone said to me, "Well, you know, they're 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 good people. They're approaching the world in the way that they're approaching it, and all that kind of stuff," and then to watch this this arc that happened. So yeah. during the primaries when, when Trump was kind of gaining traction to hear these people say, we can't vote for Trump, blah, 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 like here's all this going on. And then slowly when he becomes the only person left and then mm-hmm. to to watch the hoops that so many of them probably the last couple of months, there's been mostly silence. But to watch the hoops that they jump through to justify right. uh, really um, grabbing after power. Yeah, it really I really mm-hmm. had a tough time with it and I'm still tr- having a tough time with it. That's interesting because it's it's it made it harder for me to hold on to that idea of you know I, I have a lot of respect for this person or that person right. and uh I, because you yeah. saw real world damage. I did. from from the system. And and a, a real movement. a real sacrifice of the things that yeah they held on to. You know like uh, just from a political standpoint, you know, I don't think that the religious right can ever stand on, you know, family or values or, right. you know, all those things that they, they propped up, which, you know, depending upon where you, th- you you do about it, there's something good about standing for fidelity. You know, right. obviously commitment is important and all that, but just to throw it out the window because there's such – there's this hate or just vile – things being said at the 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 idea of hillary clinton being president um and i don't think it was exclusive to hillary it just seemed the clintons seemed to right i don't know It, it was a really difficult time for me and i'm still kind of like wading through the rubble and every time trump comes up with something else it's really difficult for me and i know you know it shouldn't be connected that much it shouldn't be this republican equals evangelicalism but i
0: just and there's and not all evangelicals are like that i know that that's probably trite to say because evangelicals did elect donald trump right but um of course not all and, and and whether you equate them or not there are very public figures of evangelicalism equating themselves with trump supporting like you know the liberty stuff like that's
1: liberty franklin graham like yeah just the the they, worst they of the the things and i've seen those Leaders personalities did. being represented and lifted up by people that that i've respected you know i i don't have any i don't have any stake in the <laughs> john in macarthur the- told us all to vote for donald trump i i, I watched that video Ugh. and he's he's like the head
0: of all of where i come from he's like the mouthpiece and he said don't vote for o- donald trump a vote for his policies you know and his policies are awful <laughs> but that's another subject. but those are all things that they would yeah. never
1: say about anything else and you know, don't mean to make this a political right thing but this this era in political history is so connected to yeah um my personal journey and having like some sort of reconciliation with my with my past that i uh mm. I, I really struggle because i do stand on other things like i find that i, I still feel that yeah, I find that I still miss and long certain aspects of, of evangelical liturgy or worship, whatever we want to call it. Right. Um, the, the the ability to experiment and be open with the way that you we worship, I, I feel like is, is really lacking within more of a mainline tradition. And, and especially uh, to
0: add to that, that awe of like the transcendence of God, I believe God's imminent and present with us, but also this like, I'm going to worship God, you know, like that that part has been absent for a lot of my experience too outside of evangelicalism.
1: Yeah, and I think and I, and I get why um but it, because it's it's you know it's it's different. It's foreign to most people in that that situation. I just I feel like I gained so much from my upbringing as an evangelical. Mm. Like when I especially when it comes to like seeing kids and youth in churches that I've that I've been attending or been at when it comes to When it comes to more mainline denominations, again, this is just my experience, but I remember just being so connected, like youth group was such an important part of my life and not necessarily because of things I was learning or the things that I believe, because it was just this tightness, this community that was there Mm -hmm. that I, that I tried to emulate everywhere I went, like to create this place where people felt like they were, you know, they were at home, the cheers effect, you know, where everyone knows your name and really, uh, there was something about that. And I feel like that, that lacks more in my current experience where it's just kind of a come and go kind of thing. And it's, it's only connected to each other. There doesn't seem to be this connection that our connection to each other seems to be glued together by the divine. Mm. Um, which that I think that was a sense, at least in my experience with evangelicalism, that was a sense that I hope that I helped create in a way um, through, you know, whatever leadership style I have. But I do want to clarify something that that you pushed back on. Um,
0: when I say, that it's a different religion and I let them experience what they experience and say what they say and believe what they believe without feeling like I have to correct them or change them or anything. It's not just a live and let live for me. I still believe in the marketplace of ideas and philosophy and, re- and I, I don't think it's like, oh, anybody's truth, you know, everything is fine. I think there are some harmful ideologies and I will go out of my way to defend good ones. And I will spend my life in thought, in politics, in on-the-ground stuff. I'm going to fight for refugees, you know, whether your religion defends them or not. And these are things that I always push for, but I'm not set out to invalidate people's experience of God or of worship. And that's where I was when I first left evangelicalism, going back to the churches and being like, God, like how how do people do this? You know, I, I guess it's a delicate balance um between respecting someone's faith and also disagreeing with it and battling the outcome of uh hurtful ideologies in the public space. Um, There's a balance there, right there. One is a private message on Facebook. Another is a public figurehead making claims that have political ramifications. And I think those are maybe two different things, you know, and maybe they're connected, but, and also, one other thing. So, not part of it is you can never go home. Um, you ha- I've have i have had to grieve my loss of of that community. Re-entering into a relationship as someone who's not a part of the community. Look, if they would open their doors to people like me, I could still be a part of their community. But because of the way they've defined things, I'm not in it. So I recognize that I'm and I'm not in it, and I I respect that.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah. You held like on I'm, to the, the evangelical <laughs> moniker much long longer as, than any of us. As, as long as I could. And honestly, I'd be there. I would still call myself evangelical
0: if they would have had me, but they don't. And uh, I, it's not that I I want. Obviously, now there's so much baggage with that that I, I wouldn't even want um, to be associated with some of the, the stuff that happens in the evangelical church. But uh, what was the third thing? So I said, you can never go home treating is a different oh the third thing is uh just waiting. I know this sounds really weird, but like in all of my conversations with people, everyone one of my one of the most wise things my mom ever told me Um, I was frustrated because our family wasn't praying enough. (laughs) 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 Maybe that hasn't aged well. We're not in the segment yet, but Alan's angst as like an angsty uh, little uh, religious kid did not age well. And I go to my mom, I'm like, we're not praying as a family. We're not praying enough or something. And she takes me aside and she goes, those are good feelings. And she uh, validates that. And then she says, and Alan, you have to know that everyone's at different places. And like that was really big for me as a junior hire. I was like, oh, okay. That's true. Everyone is at different places and that's okay. And so as I've gone through my process, there are people that were very combative at first, um, that were very upset at me for kind of switching teams or abandoning the true gospel or something like that. Um, which is so weird, dude. I believe in Jesus. Never mind. That's a totally different <laughs> sidetrack. I don't have to say that I'm the same. Um, and I waited, I waited for those people. I just I I still hung around, you know, like whether it's online or whatever. I didn't burn ties. I didn't defriend them. I didn't like rail against everyone. Um, I clearly stated what I believed. I posted stuff that was like, this is why I accept evolution, you know, like years ago. And people were upset about that. But like I never attacked anyone. I really um, just kind of remained present and left open relationship. There are so many people who have arrived at different places in their faith journey where they're no longer fitting really well into that mold anymore, and they've talked to me. And so um, I think sometimes this is a waiting game. People may never come around or may never end up where you're at, and that's totally fine. I'm not out to just make everyone like me, but it's actually given um, a lot of freedom for people to feel like they're safe around me and man, if if you can be safe, a safe place for people who are in your former context, they're not getting that where they're at <laughs> as far as evangelicalism. If you're a former evangelical and you're following maybe this podcast and you, you're inspired by some of the stuff that we're saying, gotta hear my call. I'm gonna be preachy right now. Be a safe <laughs> place for the people who are processing their crap in your former places. Whatever you do, like, I don't know, season your stuff with grace. Yes, stay strong for what you believe, fight what needs to be fought for, but leave open relationship because people come around and not everyone from your former context believes the same, the same thing. They're just forced to be in a mold.
1: And, and when that starts to shake up, like, they're going to need people like you, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that that's a, that's an important point, because I think if we all think back to our times where we were questioning and we we're looking around and feeling like, I don't know if I could talk to anyone about yes. this, to know that there's someone there who's still connected to you, that you've watched that journey that at times you might have been disgusted with. But now you're kind of like, oh, you know maybe that makes a little bit more sense, and maybe I can get on board with that, and maybe, okay, I'll, I'll talk to them. Because I, I, think, I think keeping those lines of communication, again – Assuming that there's, it's still a friendship, and there hasn't been this, you know, any kind of um, right uh, abuse or anything like that. I think that those are important things, and I think I had those people, and sometimes they're even just like authors or something. I'm like, ew, they're so
0: far off base, they're so wrong, and then I come in my faith during to a point where I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> like so, right. so helpful, yeah. holy crap, <laughs> they're life giving, man, I need them right now, and like that, that's happened to me personally.
1: Yeah, and I think I think it's, it's a matter also – I mean, obviously, all of this is just a byproduct of deconstruction. It's yeah, that whole process of, of I'm tearing things down, I'm rebuilding things, and you have a love-hate relationship with your former context. You have seasons where you're like, I don't want anything to do with this. I want to get out of there. And then you have seasons where you realize, okay, these were important building blocks in who I am now. And yeah. it's an assimilation process is how do you take all this stuff and how do you – you reuse some of the materials from your deconstruction in your reconstruction yep. and where does it fit in in new places and that's a that's a difficult journey and it's a journey that i think to on a certain level can be a healthy thing to to do it in a in a semi public way whether it's through social media to know that for people that are still in that context, that may be asking those questions. Yeah, oh, and it may what? be hard and lonely though, because there
0: are people that are watching that who are still using those constructions and buildings, and you're sitting there doing all of that stuff. They're going to be offended by it, or it's going to touch uh, on their identity or something. And so, yeah, it, it may be a difficult thing and maybe isolating. But part of that public thing is is important mm-hmm.
1: if you can. If you and can do a, it that way, there's a range. Like yeah. Alan and I are probably on the opposite spectrums as far as like how much we choose to interact when it comes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to Facebook and certain things that come up. Uh, I've I've curated my Facebook to be a place of just food and fun, and I keep it light and mm. uh, all that kind of stuff. Because I just, for me, it's not the place to engage. For me, it's not the place to to get into all that. I have other avenues like the podcast and um i'd rather do it in person when i talk to people and to I still be fair f- i don't always engage
0: sometimes i just like say something and then everybody else kind of takes off and then That's i just right. kind of remain at the table if anyone wants to speak but yeah most of the time it's alan <laughs> putting out a,
1: <laughs> a self-perceived harmless think, little facebook status yes, and stuff everyone that jumps I think on is top. harmless
0: harmless as all get out yeah
1: but, I mean, I think that that's all in, in our way. I think that, that what we need to be for our own self-care, our own personal place, is we just need to be aware of how certain things affect us. And if it's becoming unhealthy for us, then sometimes we do need that distance. Sometimes we do need that time away. Sometimes we do need that place. And I think I think probably for us, it just seems natural to hold the course and do things a little public because that was the nature of what we did when we were in evangelicalism. Yes. We were, we were right. pastors. We were up front. And I know that's not the way for everyone else. Absolutely. And, and I'd like to know
0: if you're listening to this conversation and you have tips or even just experiences, if you want to write a little like, Hey, this was me going home or this was my experience with it, or I want nothing to do with it. We'd love to know that. Like we, we developed personal relationships with some of our listeners and like, I want to hear your story. I mean, it's, it really does matter to matter to me. So send it to us on the email or there's a hundred different ways to connect to us.
1: Yeah. We have all of our information uh on the website irenacast dot com or in the show notes for this particular episode which is iranicast.com slash one oh five. Um but yeah I think that this is a really a, a big thing and it it, at least for me it's ebbed and flowed so far as far as how much I can reconnect. And I think it's much easier <laughs> for me to reconnect to the people than it is the places. Yes uh you, right. you mentioned going back to your church. I don't know mm-hmm. if I I don't know if I've ever been back to a church that I've left with the exception of my home church and actually gone back for like a Sunday morning service. I've never really I've never done that. I never. did it.
0: It was so surprising to me how much every song was about like uh, the penal substitutionary atonement. I mean, the introduction song every single song was like, I I've, I've crafted worship services now being out where I'm at. And I'm like, man, this is, this is a one trick pony. (laughs) No offense, but like, man, it's the stuff you see when you're gone for a long time is kind of blaring, you know, in your face. And, uh, anyway, it's a, it's an odd
1: experience for me. For sure. I, I went to, I preached at an evangelical church after I had started working at a mainline church. I'd been there for maybe a year, year and a half. And, uh, I physically – I forgot how like much physical endurance you needed because, you know, for an evangelical <laughs> service, you're standing for a long time for worship, you know, uh, three to five songs lazy, depending upon the church. And I'm used to, you know, getting up and getting down. Right. <laughs> but I was standing up so long. I was like, man, I'm going to sit down soon. <laughs> I know. For me, it was the 45-minute sermon. It was like I grew up
0: preaching 45-minute sermons. Now they're 12 or everyone gets upset. And uh, I went back there. I was like, Wow wow, dude, <laughs> yeah. like, this is crazy. This is, I, I love it though. If, if I could go back to that, I would. Um, You'd go back to preaching to 40, 45 minutes, was, minutes.
1: That's why you have a podcast. Well, on. I'm,
0: I know I'm long winded, dude. That's a, that's a problem. I just like talking. I messaged my former youth leaders from when I was in high school and like former students that were in high school when I was in high school, the older ones who led worship And, uh, we had a really interesting worship, like band when I was, when I was younger, all these people would train younger people in worship and they would actually write their own songs and stuff. And it was like this, it was all acoustic guitar, right? Like everything was written for guitar. And, um, I messaged them and I was like, Hey, I'm introducing new songs to my church. (laughs) Would you be willing to send me like songs from the past? And like, this is crossing enemy lines, dude. Like they preach sermons that are (laughs) like, I'm sending people to hell in my church. Right. Like, and so they were, they were gracious. They were like, yes. I'll send you all the stuff. And they just drop me like the entire set list of every camp that was ever done. Like all of the, the documents for all the worship, all the core songs, all the extra ones, the devotionals and stuff. And I was like, wow. So I combed through it. Like, I want to say a thousand songs, dude, there's a lot. And, uh, I picked out four <laughs> that I thought were <laughs> usable for my context now. Cause some of them are a little bit, maybe not. And, uh, I actually started teaching him to my church. So talk about in it, like integration and like reconnecting to my past. I'm like standing up front teaching these brand new contemporary songs from 1985 um, to all of my, <laughs> my congregation. But it's been really fun. Yeah, it's interesting for sure.
1: Um, anyway, that's a side note. You know, it's funny that you mentioned the whole worship thing. And I know we've touched on it throughout this conversation. But man. I, if I, if I had to pick one or the other, thumbs up, thumbs down, I much prefer the evangelical worship overall. Right. Just as far as, as an experience on Sunday morning than I do with current mainline. I don't right. Know, is it mainline? I, I always say that. Mainline. I traditional, to that, but I guess that's, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's and just, I hear that everywhere. I hear that everywhere from all my former
0: evangelical friends and ministers. It's like, where is the progressive? Evangelical Church, where is it, man? Yeah. where's the one with the service just like we went, grew up with, but with different wording and terminology and better philosophy and outlook and
1: practice where is that at and there's it's nowhere it's not there because everyone leaves <laughs> right they're not going to new yeah. churches they're just they're just bailing and I think that uh I think that particularly mainline denominations are are, are missing out on yeah. opportunity to bring a whole generation of people in.
0: Well, it's happening just,
1: right now because of the Trump stuff. There's a
0: a billion articles. We can link one in the description articles of people leaving conservative churches looking for more liberal ones because of the Trump era, because they're sitting in churches that are not addressing these real world problems. These the stuff that's happening with Trump. No,
1: I know. I know that's happening, but it, it's it's such a contrast in worship style because I, I don't even think it's a matter of like contemporary versus tradition. I've always hated no. that dichotomy. Um, I think it's just a matter of context, right? Like Yes. You're you're providing a space and too many times churches want to inform instead of invite. And I think that the, there's a subtle difference between that, like both require presenting information as far as here's about here's here's a doorway into our context. Here's why we believe this. Here's what we do it. But teaching that in such a way that's inviting as opposed to just like, here's the information and, and leaving you to your own. Devices, because honestly, my latter part of my time in an evangelical church, I really started to embrace the idea of liturgy because I I experienced right. it through a way that I I understood its meaning before I understood its practice because I wasn't in a church like that. And, and I, I re- wish I read those books that you had.
0: <laughs> they were yeah. all
1: over your house. I picked them. And up I and wish them. that more mainline churches would be more inviting in the way that they present their liturgy, because I do think that there's power in it. I think there's amazing things in it. But I also think that, you know, talk about everyone always talks about, and this, this is kind of a side note, but it's a rant and I'm going to do it anyway. But everyone always talks about how like the hymns are full of theology, but every time someone sings a hymn, I think that theology is awful in those hymns. It depends on which hymn, <laughs> those stuff from like the early 1900s and like the mid
0: 1900s. Oh my gosh. It, it's like, it's some of the most no
1: offense to everyone who loves it. It's pretty vapid, dude. it is it is and there meaning. doesn't seem to be this willingness at all to change the wording like it's so patriarchal. uh a lot of it is like it's I, I just don't like it. and I could yeah. say the same obviously the words of a lot of evangelical songs I you know pray songs or whatever. I agree the same thing, but uh I just wish that there was I wish there was a place that people would appreciate all kinds of worship styles within the Christian right. context and be able to embrace all of it and not just dismiss it. I in my experience has been in mainline that they are far more dismissive of evangelical worship style than evangelicals are of right. mainline worship style. I agree. I would I would agree with that in general. I've seen that too. And and dismissive is a nice word that I'm using <laughs> cuz sometimes it's just like <laughs> like, I don't even want, like they'll start talking about it. And I don't even say anything because inside I'm like, well, it's not that bad. You know, you've never experienced it and you're just trashing right. it for no for no reason. I know. <laughs> but
0: my it's all about relationship and like physical proximity. Could you take some of the people in my church and they went to a, a bigger evangelical church for the first time and listen to worship? They're like, Whoa. Everybody was singing up because they're looking at a projector or a screen and not looking at the books
1: like, oh, man, it was so
0: crazy and different (laughs) at the church that I'm at right
1: now. We switched to looking up at the screen and it was louder. Like it felt that truly
0: is a side note that truly is a side note to this conversation. But I do feel good. This conversation is just the beginning. I want to hear from from everyone. Like, what can we do to relate to to our previous context? Is it worth it? Even that's what I want to know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And how much of your previous context have you come to terms with? Do you actually yeah. embrace and are thankful for? Because I think that that's an important part of the process. In order to engage, there still needs to be... To some people, some that's going to of, sound offensive, but it's important for me. Commonality is, for me. is important for any kind of connection with someone, to, to, to know that you're on the same level on some level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a little <laughs> convoluted, but I think it makes any sense. Uh, so yeah, comment to the show. Reach out to us. We have we have a presence pretty much on any social media platform. All that information is in the show notes at IrenaCast.com/slash slash 105. And uh, we want to continue to explore these ideas and have conversations like this that are a little bit more informal but in, and more based on experience because that's kind of where we're all at. And, uh, we again, we really want to take this new era of Irenacast and really have more conversations and more engagement with you, our listeners. So, um, again – all the information at the show notes, Irenacast.com slash 105. So, on the other side of the music, we are going to be sharing our top three things that have not aged well since our childhood. So we have discovered on the show since no longer having Mona as a regular part of the show, some of the games that we used to do are a little bit more difficult when it comes to just two people. So until we can start filling the pulpit, so to speak, and bringing in some uh, guest co-hosts, we're going to try to experiment with some new segments. And we figured what's more wonderful than a top. Ten list or a top five list, and since there's you know a limited them. amount of time, we're gonna we're gonna bring out some top three lists, and we're gonna start our top three with top three things that have not aged well from our childhood. So you know how when you're a kid, other than my body, <laughs> yeah, other than our, <laughs> our <laughs> physical endurance, um, or hair color or hairline uh sciatic nerve (laughs) yeah uh so you know those things that you were like you had this fond memory of when you were a kid and you go back to a triad as an adult and you're like oh man i should have just kept that memory (laughs) and not experienced this uh so so we have the top three things and these when we say top three we are gauging them by its level of disconnectedness i guess yes Um, of not aging well right of spoiledness Mm mm-hmm So let's let's start with with number three, Alan. What's your what's your number three? So I actually
0: this is the hardest segment I've ever done on the show. We've had some hard segments, but um, the level of invisibility toward my own shame that I still have is unrivaled by anyone I've ever met. I don't feel shame. (laughs) everything is amazing to me and fun and i should be ashamed of some things that i'm not so i had to really rack my brain like what has it aged well and uh these three are the three things that came to mind literally i've none others because i'm you know i'm just who i am lovable kid next door uh
1: there's Number something three, to be said about that, Alan. There's something, there's something,
0: <laughs> something special something about that. something good to be said about that. My heart has aged well. <laughs> if you've not been disenfranchised by the world. You know, my older brother, I love my older brother. He had to teach me how to be cool. He was like, Alan, that's not cool. He. It was like, you know, how I met your mother interventions or whatever. Like everyone sits down. He had those with me. Hey, Alan. And I would be like, thank you, John. <laughs> that means the world to me. <laughs> uh so the first one uh, number three would be my rock collection um I had a really big duffel bag it was a duffel bag filled with like random rocks not special rocks not special minerals just like rocks you find that look different than other ones all over the place and I would just have this big duffel bag full of them and I look back at it now and I'm like yeah the indiscriminate rock collect rock collector doesn't age well. <laughs> That's a uh, good what's one.
1: wrong with this kid? Yeah. This I, I have a feeling that three. our uh our top three are gonna be very different in terms I of think like so too. genre and category. Uh, <laughs> probably. Uh clearly I am not a rock fan. <laughs> I didn't grow up with TV, Jeff. Unless it's the rock. <laughs> exactly. Um I grew up with rocks, Jeff. Yeah, all rocks mine is, is trees. all mine is. TV, movies, and food. So I'm just going to put that I out to, there. We used like right there.
0: sharpen sticks on the concrete out back so we could make bows and arrows to go hunt animals.
1: <laughs> that was not my thing. Uh, uh, really? Not my thing. No. Nope. Oh, man. I, I certainly played outside a lot, but I didn't, didn't play like, out not do apartment. I didn't do, I didn't do man <laughs> things. I didn't do guy things. That's because your police were driving around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, man. All right. So my number three is. Fresh for me, because uh, over the summer, the movie It came out. I don't know if anyone saw it, the, the remake of the the novel by Stephen King. And I, I read the novel when I was in high school, but I remember when the original It miniseries came out on television and had Tim Curry as Pennywise the Clown. And I just had this image in my head of Tim Curry being terrifying and just the perfect casting and, and that, that whole miniseries being really, really scary and then i rewatched it in preparation for the new movie to see like hey how does it hold up and it does not hold up it, is, <laughs> it was awful it was horrible acting it was just i mean tim curry still holds up a little bit at least his particular performance because it's tim curry but man it did not hold up i was really disappointed that i even watched it because i now i have no notion of it ever being anything good which right is sad. <laughs>
0: You ruined that childhood memory. I did.
1: I ruined. The, I ruined a lot of childhood
0: memories. Hey, this is this is uh on point for this episode because you know we're relating to our past. That's right. It's a great idea, Jeff. That's right. Number two for me, the one I could think of to be that didn't age well. There's pictures of me from sixth grade. I used to go to school with uh purple sweatpants and hiking boots. With um the the shoelaces were those twirl shoelaces that you don't have to tie. They just twirl up. You know. and uh hiking boots didn't age well i mean i look back at it and i'm like i was the kid with hiking boots at school you know that like kind of chubbier white kid with hiking boots is just not (laughs) it doesn't go it's not good not good but at the time way freaking cool the 90s was a weird weird decade for a lot of people but weirder for me
1: (laughs) hiking boots and sweatpants don't age well that's all i'm saying right you're not you're not rocking you're not rocking them now. I have my PJs on, but you know I'm not <laughs> not sweatpants. No. All right. So my number two is probably my fondest memories of childhood was actually being in Little League. You know before before baseball got all competitive and high school and all oh, that kind of stuff. I loved right. Little League, and to me, one of the best things about Little League was pretending to have tobacco chew in that. <laughs> That envelope that was filled with fruit flavored <laughs> bubble gum called League Chew. Chew.
0: Woohoo! I love that stuff. Just oh, man.
1: cramming as much in in your mouth as possible <laughs> while you're you're sitting on the bench. And oh, recently, man. I was at a candy store with my daughters, and I saw that they had a pouch. Are you serious? And I was like, I haven't ah. had Big League Chew in like maybe eighteen years, dude. I, I know. And I was like, I gotta do this. <laughs> I gotta do this. Like just I'm gonna buy it so I bought it and then I tried it and it was disgusting oh. it uh and the flavor was like gone within like two seconds and I was just that's like, how it was back then too we just <laughs> forgot <laughs> I felt like my childhood and the memories of Big League Chew was like this freshly painted mural and then someone just threw a bunch of water on it and it just faded and smudged into to nothingness a gloop of unflavored I should have just, like, looked at the package (laughs) and allowed, like, the nostalgia to flood over me and then just walk out. But I didn't. I tried it, and I regret every moment of it. That's a good metaphor for a lot of things. Bigly chew. Don't try it if you had good memories of
0: it. I did have good memories. I still do. And part of me wants to go try it now. Sit in it, Alan. You're you're, going to lose it. And... (laughs) I used to wait to catch fly balls or whatever, foul balls, because if you caught a foul ball and ran to the like snack bar, they give you free big league chew, dude. Oh, my goodness. Oh, the Little League anyway, snack bar. Good well, times. That's sad. Okay, so my, my number one is a movie. Um, it was a movie that was one of my favorite movies as a kid, and I rewatched it and probably brings me the most pain. Um, and that is The Buttercream Gang. Have you seen this? It's like
1: a Christian movie. I have not seen you it. Know. I've heard of it. I've heard you mention it several
0: times. <laughs> I think and now we're going to have to have a party, Jeff. Wait, you, wait, me, you know what? Maybe we'll Butter... do it for Divine Cinema and we'll have you on think as so. a guest. It's too painful to watch for Divine <laughs> Cinema. You know, like there's this angry kid from the city and, you know, he leaves. He goes to the city, he changes and comes back. And it's just like the Buttercream Gang are these people who help uh, this these kids who form this like little club and they help people like, you know. They, they bring stuff to people old people and they help people and they like there's this older kid who's like troubled anyway I went back to watch it and like I can't I couldn't sit through like five minutes it was just it was absolutely terrible and uh every awful thing that you could possibly think about um Christian movies in general and that whole time period of the world it was it's all there so you're never gonna watch it It did not hold up well yeah i I've never watched it, so I have no fun. None of my of Christian stuff held up well, dude. I, like I used stuff to watch stuff hold up well, like McGee and Me in my head from when I was younger. It's like awesome. It's like this little you know cartoon character that comes alive, and like it's like his Christian family film. You look at it now, and it's like, oh my god, there's some awful stuff in here.
1: Yeah, doing <laughs> this
0: terrible divine writing. cinema.
1: I've re. Reviewed some of the movies that I used to like You know because when you're a youth pastor and you wanted to show movies You always had to like be the pretty visitation. selective And the hoops <laughs> that I jumped through mentally To say oh this isn't too bad it's pretty good And I've gone back and watched some of them and it's like No it was never good and Young I Jeff we need to have a conversation Huh <laughs> I say young Jeff sit yeah. down There's some things you need yeah. to know I the speaking of young Jeff, like the whole Facebook memories for the most part has been a good oh, thing. Oh, my God. But then I'm looking like there's this era of Facebook posts yes. that I had that are like, I'm still at a, a pastor of evangelical church and I'm trying to express things. And they're like vague and whiny. And I'm just like, Ugh, I can't believe I'm there, man, put that out there. I think exactly. mine are a little more immature
0: than yours because you know how when you're immature you say certain things. Thank God Facebook wasn't around
1: when I was in junior high. Oh my God, Amen, <laughs> Amen, oh, everyone. <laughs> if Dude, we weren't doing imagine? childhood, Facebook posts would be my number three. Like things that have not aged well.
0: Yes, I. I so there's a couple like. Sitting on the couch with my wife and dog watching TV like who posts that on Facebook? I was like, dude, what the heck? Like more, more. That's just the that's a benign version of some of the stuff I've seen that I posted like 10 years ago. Oh, my gosh, dude. We had no filter back then. No, early, early Facebook days. Early Facebook days. I'm glad people used to message to each other on their Facebook wall and not cause there was no messaging app or there was no way to like message each other. So we would just leave these long, really personal posts on people's walls. So I see that like every, every day
1: it's pretty funny.
0: Yeah, it's, it's pretty, stuff.
1: it's pretty bad. What's your number one? My number one is a couple years ago. Netflix finally got the rights to put all of the show friends on Netflix Right. And I remember as a mid adolescence really liking Friends. It was on after Seinfeld and I was like, Oh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna rewatch Friends. I haven't seen it in a long time. I haven't had cable in a long time, so I've never seen any reruns or anything like that. So I s I'm I committed. I'm just gonna, you know, over the next couple months, I'm just gonna run through the whole series. And uh there may be some hate out there about what I'm about to say, but it did not age well. In fact, I hated it. In fact, the only redeeming quality of Friends was that it made me like How I Met Your Mother even more, and I actually like gained respect for Ted. And if you don't know me and if I haven't said this on the show at all, is that I loved How I Met Your Mother, but the character of Ted from How I Met Your Mother, I despised. He's pretentious, whiny, over-romanticizes everything, and I just wanted to slap him every opportunity i could get a chance but then i watched I friends there for
0: some episodes and you had a long running duel with
1: that man i <laughs> did <that> character <laughs> i did and then i watched friends and i was like you know what at least ted is earnest and <laughs> you know there's 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 a genuine nature about his oh goodness. douchiness but ross from friends the worst character On television ever there was nothing redeeming about him he was selfish he was whiny So he wasn't a complex character just kind of nothing complex there's nothing complex about that show at all in fact all of the humor when it comes to the guys was either like homophobic or like super like macho kind of humor and it was just over and over and it was essentially the same joke it was it was horrible like i i got through it because at least some of the things i had like fond memories of but talk about like Like context, you know, like realizing, oh man, I can't believe I thought that was funny. Or man, I can't believe Yeah, it was it was it was horrible. There was a time, Jeff, when you were maybe less complex and
0: a little more easily understood yourself. Well certainly easily amused because (laughs) I liked
1: friends. I miss that, Jeff. Uh, <laughs>
0: that Jeff was a good Jeff.
1: <laughs> it was I, – I. it didn't hold up well for me. So I'll, I'll so receive gonna, your so hate I'm
0: going to watch a Friends episode because I've only seen one and I couldn't – I have no staying power with any TV show ever except Stranger Things. But I'll watch one episode of Friends if you watch Buttercream Gang
1: deal (laughs) i will watch buttercream game i'm really tempted i think that should be a divine cinema episode if it's i don't uh,
0: know about that you should watch it first before you say that (laughs) well
1: if i watch it i might as well not waste the time and do a podcast on it
0: (laughs) oh that's great oh man all right well
1: i think that that will uh do it for this week's uh Journey down memory lane, if you enjoy what you hear and you want to support the show, you can go to renanecast dot com slash support for a list of ways to do so and again, we want to hear from you tell us about your experiences uh, interact with the show by either leaving a review or a rating on your preferred listening platform or preferably sending us an email. Our email addresses are on the website on the show notes renacast dot com slash one o five and uh we we want to hear from you. And speaking of hearing from you, we got our very first international. Apple Podcast review from Catherine, a longtime listener, very supportive of the show, and from New Zealand, which is awesome. And she said, fantastic for theology geeks and Christians with questions. I love this podcast. I have a Bachelor of Divinity, and Irenicast helps me keep my theology brain going. Alan, Jeff, and Mona and their guests have also opened my eyes to ways I can be more inclusive and more like Jesus. Uh, thank you so much, Catherine. Uh, we really appreciate those reviews. They're like fuel to our fire. So, um, so, yeah. So, um, Alan, what do you got going on this week? How can people find what you're doing? Um, we're doing our second
0: installment of Intersections, which um, there are three amazing reverends who are a part of the UCC that come from evangelical context too, Seventh-day Adventist, uh, some Lutheran um, backgrounds and evangelical backgrounds and uh, we're doing a brick and mortar version and I've announced it several times. So I'll just cut it short, but we're meeting at a pub in Roseville. If you're in Northern California, look it up it, intersections, facebook.com backslash the intersections. Um, we're basically just eating and drinking and talking about certain topics. And, uh, the topic we just covered is actually going to be our next, our next thing. So that's coming up. Oh, and also, uh, I'm visiting on, uh, this week. So tomorrow, um, I'm visiting an immigration detention center in my city. Apparently ICE has immigration detention centers all over California, and there's one like four exits on the freeway away from me, or three. And uh, I'm going to go with a volunteer program that serves a uh, dual purpose to end isolation for some detainees that they actually have visitors, people coming there to see them to so that they know someone on the outside and also as a watchdog for the um, institutions that detain people um, immigration centers. And so I'm going with that volunteer program. It's all over the United States and I'm checking it out for the first time. I look forward to figuring, finding out about it, doing the work and then maybe uh, bringing some interviews in the future to the podcast on that specific thing. Yeah.
1: Yep. And then maybe you, you all can get involved too. We'll see. Sounds good. And as usual, the only thing I got going on right now is the second podcast, Divine Cinema. We are we are posting on the second and third Thursdays of every month. And the next episode that comes out, uh, we're going to be doing one of my favorite movies called Calvary. It was a 2014 Irish film about a Catholic priest. The opening scene of that movie is he sits in a confessional booth and you don't see who's in the confessional booth. And he says, Father, I'm going to kill you. I was molested by a priest and the world won't pay attention if I kill a guilty priest. But if I kill an innocent one and it becomes this essentially passion narrative, right? So he takes on the Christ role, not in like the typical American Christ prototype where they become the hero and they sacrifice for others, but in the the sense of here is an innocent person taking on the punishment of someone else's sin. And it is beautifully shot beautifully written beautifully acted uh so if you want to hear a review of that movie uh listen and subscribe to define cinema it's become uh, a fun podcast to do so a nice nice spinoff from some some of our past episodes all right well that will do it for us so for this week i'm jeff i'm alan and thanks for joining the conversation peace